Good morning, family. How we doing? I'm standing, I say family, not just rhetorically, but literally, because this is where I was pretty much raised uh, spiritually. I remember in 1989, meeting Daryl Green for the first time. The Pittsburgh Steelers used to scrimmage the Washington Redskins. We rotate between here and there. In, 18, in 1989, we were... Um, um, scrimmaging the Redskins, and as we were leaving, and I didn't know Daryl, he didn't really know me, we just kind of had a greeting. He said, hey, I want you to meet my pastor. It was Pastor Brett, and he wasn't even the pastor of the church yet. He was still a campus minister on Howard University's campus. And, um, and so the very next year, I was traded to the Redskins. And Pastor Brett just wasn't Daryl's pastor. Now he's our pastor. So Pastor Brett's still my pastor. Yeah. And um, he'll let you know, I put him... Uh, in a lot of situations where he needs to pastor me. Uh, so it continues. Um, but I can say I love this place. Uh, and I've been on a lot of stages in my life. This summer I spoke on a stage that was massive. Uh, and I've been a lot of places in the world. But I've not been on a paid-for stage yet. You understand what I'm saying? I have not been on a paid-for stage. So I have no words to describe what a paid-for stage feels like, but it's amazing. And more than that, remembering the days of having to call in before Sunday service in 1990 to find out where we're going to meet that Sunday and being nomads for many years. I was in those days. And to now see this in all of you whom I do not know in the natural, but I know you by the Spirit because you're in this building, I celebrate with you. And I thank God for Pastor Brett and Cynthia, who are just uh, pillars, not just in this church, but in our Every Nation family and really in this community. And so I, I just can't tell you how much I love and appreciate uh, what Pastor Brett has led the charge to build and to see happen here, to pass on to many generations. So um, I bring you greetings from Orlando World Outreach Center. And at this time, we want to stand in honor of the word of God. And we're going to get right to it. And look at Matthew chapter 6, out of the ESV, starting in verse 14, it says, For if, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We'll look at Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, somewhat extensive reading here. Uh, down to 46, it goes, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us as a church. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. I want to talk to you um, about something I believe is deliberate, considering that we just had Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day last Sunday is a wonderful time to cherish and express love uh, for the relationships, whether you're married or family or whatever that relationship is for you. Um, But even though we have Valentine's Day on Sunday, it didn't mean that you didn't face challenges on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in your relationships. Because it's easy to express love when it's convenient. But real love is tested through the challenges of time and relational conflict. Many times we don't handle those properly and they end up in relational breakups. And so on the heels of Valentine's Day, I want to talk to you about relational healing because I believe if we understand relational healing, we can relationally flourish. Now, my question is, how do you measure the relational well-being of a, of a culture? How do you measure the well-being of a city, a nation? Is it by the amount of family entertainment that we have? Is it by the number of people being married? Is it by the number of people who uh, are, are having kids? Is it the economy? I don't, I don't think that that would be a good measure for the relational well-being of a city or culture or, or nation. I would rather think that the way you measure the relational well-being of a city, nation, or culture is by the level of violence in that culture. Because violence is an indication of how people really feel about each other's life. And I think it's safe to say ours is a culture, a very dangerous culture, of violence and cruelty. Author Jeff Sparrow said that there's a willingness of ordinary people, common people nowadays, to commit unthinkable atrocities. Professor Henry Garreau from McMaster University did an article and excerpts from his article kind of expressed in a clear way how this, this dialogue of, of violence in, in our culture is expressed. And he said, we see pop culture endlessly celebrating the spectacle of violence. And he goes on and says, what's shocking, what's surprising is the logic of war and violence have become addictive. They become addictive. A A socially constructed need that we simply cannot get away from. He goes on and says, violence is a defining, has become a defining organizing principle that is one of the few, one of the few mediating forces that holds everyday life together. It's violence that holds us together, not love. It's the crisis that awakens us and causes us to see and notice one another in a greater way. And he goes on and says, There's also the fact that as neoliberalism and the culture of violence weaves its way through the culture itself, it makes places like the the workplace and school and other public places, fears of rage and anger, sites of rage and anger and, 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 and humiliation and misery, creating a foundation for this blind rebellion. 
this rebellion against these conditions, unfit conditions. People taking matters in their own hand. Now, I personally believe that one of the things that has fueled this culture of violence and war is guns. One third of Americans actually own guns. But I also believe that while guns can be very lethal and fatal in a relational conflict, it's not the most powerful weapon we have. It's not the most dangerous weapon we have. The most dangerous weapon people carry is not what they have in their hand, it's what they have in their hearts. It's unforgiveness. You see, because unforgiveness has and will continue to cause more damage, more collateral damage and wreckage than any bomb, any missile, any gun could ever hope to cause. Because at the root of every single battle, every single war, every single fight is an offense, a feeling of resentment, a desire for revenge. Those are the roots of unforgiveness. You see, forgiveness, remember this, is not something you have to do. Forgiveness is something you get to do. When you are no longer controlled by your sin-loving nature. You see, when you understand forgiveness is something that I get to do, it comes from the reality that it is not something that I can do. It's something that must flow through me by allowing Christ to express himself. Forgive through me. Forgive through me the forgiveness he's given to me. And you can't do this alone. You can't. We, we're born with a revenge. I mean, the, the, the factor, the, the revenge factor exists from when you are, are brought into this world. You look at most babies. They're born with two fists balled up next to their cheeks. <laughs> Think about it. I'll fight you. You better give me some milk. It's going down in this hospital. <laughs> Come on now. I'm like, why are they born like this? They come out ready to go throw down. It's in our nature. You never have to teach a kid to, to say, you know, sh share. You never say, stop sharing so much, Johnny. No, would you share? It's in us. This whole idea of unforgiveness is something we would rather lean to then actually understand the freedom that comes as a result of forgiveness. So forgiveness allows you to move on. Unforgiveness will lock you up. If you're stuck in unforgiveness, you're stuck in life. Now, your career might be moving on, but spiritually you are stuck. You are in the same place where they left you. Now, when we look at the process of forgiveness and we find Jesus as the model and an example of forgiveness... In the scriptures, we have to look at what happened in Matthew 26 in this encounter in the Garden of Gethsemane as, as a way to understand that, that forgiveness is a process. It can be a very quick process. 
In this process, we find Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 26 shows us that he is, he is in this garden confronting the sin that broke up the relationship between God and man. It was lost in a garden. He comes to repair it and heal the relationship in a garden. He's coming to bring back what was stolen, what was given away. And so it was in that garden that we find Jesus showing us what it looks like to forgive. He had to confront sin. He had to confront unforgiveness, lest it keep us gripped in darkness, trapped and doomed into eternal death. When you look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, his is a lesson in living, not dying. So if you look at what happens in, 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 in the garden and you see the sweat and the tears and all this, you think, oh, he's dying. No, dying means the end of something. What Jesus went through wasn't the end of him. It was the beginning of possibilities for all of us. So his was a lesson. And sometimes you feel like you're dying. And if you understand the depth of what God is doing, that death is actually creating a new resurrection in you. So what people are doing are not killing you, they're giving you a reason to live beyond this. So when you find Jesus in the garden, you have to understand how he went through all that he went through because he was still human and still was able to forgive. So forgiveness, relational healing comes through forgiveness when we acknowledge the pain. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody? Okay, you that did not raise your hand? keep living just keep living okay just keep living don't worry how many of you ever hurt somebody see we like it when we get to talk about how people hurt us but there's another pastor in this town asking the congregation the same thing how many people hurt you and they're thinking about y'all We like to be the victim. Don't forget, you've hurt some people too. But we're going to deal with the folks that hurt you. That's why they're in another church. (laughs) The unfortunate thing about that kind of pain is that so often the hurt comes from the people that are closest to you. The hurt comes from a spouse, a sibling, a boss, a relative, a friend. And those hurts are real deep. And if we don't deal with them properly, not only will we not have relational healing in those intimate relationships, but we'll have actually put up a relational wall against anybody new. Because we make a covenant with ourselves that I'm not going to let you hurt me like they did. And so you never experience the joy of what is possible because you're always living in the pain of what happened. So now we see this pain beginning to develop where even a common offense, this everyday stuff, unnerves you, pains you. Part of the challenge with us is that we don't want to acknowledge the pain because the word on the street is, make sure you never forget what they did to you. Make sure you get them back. Or act like it didn't hurt. They didn't hurt you. You know the old saying, sticks and stones can only break my bones. But words will never hurt me. You're lying through your teeth. You're telling a lie. 
Sticks and stones can only break your bones. Words will rip you to shreds. Some people sitting here today remember words that your parents spoke to you when you was a child. And you're still carrying that same pain. Words can mess you up. So the reality is that we have this pain that we deal with in relationships. And we don't quite know what to do with it because we're either just saying, I'm not going to forgive or I'm going to act like it never really happened. Well, let's take a page from the master's book. And it says in um, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, verse 37, it says, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is the son of God. Remember, he's the one that walked on water and healed the sick and raised the dead and delivered captives from demons and stopped the wind. He was limitless in his power. Limitless. And so this seems like quite a contradiction that this limitless God now feels limited and it's even to the point of sorrow and being burdened that he has to share his burden with human beings that can't do anything for him. I'm trying to understand what is this that Jesus you are so sorrowful well the difference between this moment and previous moments is that everything that he did for people he did out of his limitless power for that individual well it was whether it was healing or deliverance or whatever he did it for that individual what he was now about to do was for all of humanity it wasn't just for one person it was for all of humanity every person that ever lived every person that will ever live he is now carrying around the sorrow as a result of having our grief and pain imputed onto him how many of you've ever hurt so bad and you were so sad that you cried that you felt like you were dying anybody ever hurt to deep tears got a lot of amazingly healed people around here you guys you are you guys are either thinking about lunch you're or, or you're ignoring me or you just got a perfect life i don't know what it is Anybody ever cried around here? I mean, good grief. Come on, people. I know how to work alone, but I'm trying to help you. Yeah, it's hard for you to admit it right here with everybody else who's had pain. Jesus admitted his. He acknowledged the pain. But it wasn't his pain, it was the pain that when you went through a divorce or you were, you, you, you felt the, the pain of addiction or you felt depressed or you felt angry or you got rejected or you got talked about. All the pain from an abortion, all the pain from abuse, all that pain you feel. Can you ima- imagine adding your neighbor's pain and everybody in your neighborhood's pain on top of that? No, all you can take is your pain. You know what Jesus did? He took all of your pain, your neighbor's pain, and everybody else's pain. And he said, this junk hurt. He said, this hurts. He said, I feel the sorrow of death. Jesus was dying in this soul because of the death that you live every day apart from him. 
He's saying the sorrow in my soul is killing me before they even went to the cross. Before he went to the cross. You realize a lot of people had gone to the cross. A lot of people were physically abused. I mean, it was a Roman form of capital punishment. The cross wasn't that unique. But what others did not have is the revelation that they were carrying the pain of sin for the world on top of being abused and stripped and crucified. That's what nobody else had experienced. He said, I feel this. This pain is deep. It hurts. But what gave Jesus the ability to rise through the pain was his relationship with the Father. See, he had made his mind up to please the Father from day one. And because he made his mind up to please the Father, the pain couldn't compare to his desire to please the Father. See, when you hit your pain, you think about you. You ain't thinking about, you're not even thinking about praying sometimes. You can't pray straight. Do I have a witness? But it's amazing in Jesus' pain, he was able to say it. Sometimes you got to say it. But in saying your pain, you got to remember his pain. See, his pain became the gateway for your healing from your pain. But it's got to happen through a relationship with him. Relational healing begins with having a healing in your relationship with him. And now there's a chance to be healed with others. So... When you think about relational healing, now let me tell you this. Relational healing doesn't guarantee the relationship will be healed. Sometimes people have moved on. Sometimes there's a proximity or the distance that doesn't allow you to actually be together. The ultimate goal is to see healing in the physical relationship. Sometimes a person died. So relational healing is not just that there is a a relationship that's healed. It's that you're healed from the brokenness in the relationship. And the hope is that God will allow a unity, a reuniting to happen, but I'm I'm free and I'm open to the possibility of that. And so we need to see relational healing, yes, by acknowledging the pain, but also acknowledging the price. There's a price to be paid. And a lot of times people think, if I forgive, then they get off scot-free. There's no consequences. Or if I forgive, that means I accept what they did. I condone what they did. Or there's just certain things you never forgive. You just never forgive. The only problem with that is this. When you refuse to give, Hebrews 13.5 says, a root of bitterness actually springs up in you and defiles many. See, now the poison you were wanting to use to kill them, you drank yourself and waiting for them to die. You drank the poison waiting for them to die. See, the price you pay in unforgiveness is the fact that when you don't forgive, it is costing you not only your life, but future relationships. And Jesus actually took this cost three times. He went to the father and said, are you sure? Are you sure about this cup? Now, there's, the Bible talks about a cup of blessing. It talks about a cup of salvation. But he wasn't talking about that. He was the blessing. He was salvation. He was talking about the cup of wrath, the cup of disaster. He was headed into disaster. 
He's saying, Father, you sure I've never done, done this before. Been separated you from you because of the pain of, of sin. And so we find him enduring the price so that in all that we experience, he becomes our way out of the pain because he paid the price. I don't have to pay the price anymore when I understand what he did. And lastly, is that we have to acknowledge the power. Do you realize when you don't forgive, people have power over you? Not enough of you understand this, so let me have my men. Yeah, I, I said it once, and uh, there wasn't much of a response, so I'm going to have to show it to you. Do you realize when you don't forgive, people have power over you? See, you can't avoid sometimes what people do to you, but you can avoid how you respond in a wrong way. You see, forgiveness is a choice I make. When I don't forgive, I'm literally willing to allow the person that hurt me to influence me for the rest of my life. See, when I, when I don't forgive, I'm choosing to attach myself. I'm choosing to attach myself with all the resources available. I choose to deny those and attach myself to the person that hurt me. No one's making me do this. I'm choosing to say to the father that left me, left me or the parent that neglected me, I don't forgive you. Or that person that, that basically abandoned me or rejected me, I don't forgive you. And because I don't forgive you, you follow me around no matter where I am. I don't see you, but I feel you. I don't have to see you, but I feel you. Something's gone badly wrong. And you know what's amazing? The more you learn not to forgive, the easier it is to not forgive. So now this person who I thought was my friend and they stabbed me in the back, guess what? I'm choosing to actually not forgive them, so I'm going to attach myself to them. See, unforgiveness will always attach you to those who hurt you. And now I'm at work, I'm wherever I am. And they're following me around at Starbucks. I can go to giant grocery store. They're following me around. Because even though I thought I put them in the back of my mind, I didn't release them. I never really let them go. So they're just following me. And then maybe somebody at work didn't give me a promotion or put a bad report in about me. Or the business deal didn't get all the way through because of some nonsense. And whoever the person is, that was the reason for that. I now have tied myself to them. Now I got a congregation of hopelessness following me. I got a congregation of hopelessness following me around everywhere I go. And guess what? I can't see them and the people you talk to can't see them. But I guarantee you they feel them because every time you get in a conversation, one of these jokers come up in your conversation. At some point, they're going to come up in your conversation because you always want to remember the pain and not realize God has a greater purpose. 
the greatest power, the greatest power that they exercise over you is when you lay down and go to sleep. Guess who has power over you? When you're trying to sleep in your bed, they all up in your bedroom. They all up in your shower. They all up in your mirror. How are you going to get out of this trap? Well, you probably need to remember what Luke 23 said. After Jesus was beaten and bruised and stripped and suffering dehydration and all of this, we see Jesus after being offended and all this stuff. In Luke 23, it says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. At that point when Jesus said, I forgive, then we got introduced to Luke 24, where they went to the tomb to find him and he wasn't there. Why? Because he was cut loose from the pain of what people did to him and there was a greater purpose, there was a greater purpose in God. He didn't let the pain stop him from God's purpose. And when you get a revelation, you're going to realize... What people did to me is not more powerful than what Jesus did for me. I realize something supernatural has happened. See, sometimes you got to cut them loose. I know you feel like that, that, that let them go, but no, 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 no. You realize that the power of them who hurt you is not greater than the power of the one who made you. I'm allowing myself to go through the pain because I know God's purpose is greater than my pain. The devil, if he knew you knew, would know this, he would have never offended you. But since he went ahead and did, you better start cutting folk loose. You better start cutting. Some of you here right now got some folks that you've been carrying around on your job. Your family members can't hardly be around you sometimes because it always comes up. Some of you tried to suppress people that you kind of don't like anymore. And here's what we're going to do. If God has spoken to you and he's saying you got to let him go today, stand to your feet. We got to do this quickly. We got to do this quickly. You can sit there and hold on to him if you want to. But today is a day of deliverance. You about to get delivered today. You about to get cut loose today. You about to get cut loose today. Here come the Holy Ghost. And here's how the Spirit of the Lord is going to do it. You make two fists with your hands just like this. And say, Lord Jesus, I hear you. Thank you for speaking to me. I'm sorry for carrying these people around as if their pain, the pain that they caused me is greater than the power you used to free me. I'm sorry for unforgiveness. I repent of unforgiveness and bitterness. I can't be you and pour out wrath on them lest I have wrath poured out on me 
you said I have to forgive in order to be forgiven so by faith today I choose no matter how much they hurt me your power over me is greater than the pain that I felt in me and I'm ready to be free so by faith today I choose to forgive now you whisper to heaven those who you forgive and when you do open your hands when you let them go you see them being cut loose you let them go you let them go Holy Spirit will minister to you as you see them literally being let go you're releasing them just say Jesus I cut them loose they don't owe me anything and I don't owe them anything I want to be free so set me free today to not only forgive but to be healed to be restored so that your purpose will prevail in my life I thank you right now for freedom thank you Jesus give him praise